0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Praise the Lord, we are beginning a brand new book. Now, if you've been to Maranatha for a while, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew. I would say we, we did justice to the Gospel of Matthew. We took it little by little. And, uh, but now we're starting a whole new book, so open your Bibles to the book of Acts, Woo, the book of Acts. The Acts, it's called the Acts of the Apostles. I think a better title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles and through the disciples. So, and what God wants to continue to do uh, with you and me. We're going to look at the first seven verses this morning and launch uh, our future into the book of Acts. And I think there are so many things. This is really a, a study of the early church right after the resurrection of Jesus and his ascension to heaven. Then he sent his Holy Spirit, and and the Holy Spirit came in a new way uh, that he had never come before, and that is that he came inside of believers permanently. We're going to talk about how special that is, Uh, but there was, you know, Rome was in trouble, uh, Rome was on its way uh, to, you know, breaking. And the church came as a small seed and a light and salt and life and hope and literally penetrated within a generation the entire Roman Empire. Ultimately, Rome would crumble and fall, but the church of Jesus Christ would grow and would expand throughout the whole world, and so that even today, in the year 2020, there are about 2.7 billion, with a B, lovers and followers of Jesus Christ, and uh, so let's pray. Father, we come before you, thank you for being able to open the book of Acts, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, but now also through the disciples and through believers bringing it all the way to us today. We are your church. We are planted within the worldly empires. And we are here, Lord, to be a light for you. Uh, truly, our heart is for the king and the king of kings and for the kingdom of heaven. And we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So may we hear with the spirit is wanting to say to the church today for such a time as this. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so the first uh, life lesson, we've only got four today and we're going to end with communion, is the only thing that will move the world are lives ignited by the Spirit of God. Now, let me say we will not move the world by criticizing it we will also not move the world by conforming to it or wanting to be accepted by it. We are called out to be a salt and light and we present something that is completely fresh and new and divine and from heaven and it's the very kingdom of heaven. Uh, The early church You know, had none of the things that sometimes, you know, moderns think are necessary, you know, for the church to really be able to impact the world. They didn't have any buildings, they didn't have any money, they didn't really have any influence, Uh, they didn't have all of the things that we think, oh, you have to have this social status or whatever for success. All they did have was. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that had come inside of them. And they literally turned the generation, that first generation, inside out, upside down. And the world would never be the same. How were they able to do it? They were able to do it through the Holy Spirit. So look with me in verses 1 and 2. It says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandment to the apostles whom he had chosen. So the author is Luke. And Luke is the one who authored the gospel according to Luke. So we just went through the whole gospel of Matthew, which is the first gospel. Uh, but Luke is also the author of the gospel of Luke. So there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, Luke's name, as he, uh, as we read about it, he, he's the only Gentile name really uh, that is there in the scriptures. I mean, basically, the authors of the Bible uh, are Jewish. You know, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then you have the Jewish prophets, and then you have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, and then the writers of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul and Peter. They were all Jewish but now we have this Gentile guy named Luke and apparently Luke wrote two books his first one was the gospel according to Jesus and his second book is what we call the book of Acts and interestingly he wrote both of those two books to one individual a man named Theophilus now Theophilus is a Greek name also and it has a very special meaning do you know what Theophilus means? some of you probably do It means lovers of God, a lover of God. So was Theophilus a real person or not? And so that has been somewhat debated. There are some people that say it wasn't an individual. It was Luke's way of figuratively saying, to all who love God, I write the book of Acts. But there is another uh, way of looking at it. In fact, some of the early church historians that came within several generations of the original apostles said, no, actually, Theophilus was a real guy. He was very, uh, he had a very high position within the Roman uh, world and government. And that Luke was actually, we, we find out in the, in the book of Acts that Luke was a physician by trade. And in ancient uh, Roman society, wealthy patrons who had status and position and titles of honor would often have slaves, if I can say slave servants, that were their family physicians. They had the money, the power, the wealth to be able to do it. And so early church history tells us that actually Theophilus owned a slave servant who was a doctor for his personal family, and the guy's name was Theophilus, a lover of God. And that as Luke ministered to his master, Theophilus, Theophilus became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only that he became a believer, but that he released his servant uh, Luke to be able to go and travel with the Apostle Paul on the missionary journeys all the way around the Mediterranean Ocean to bring the whole gospel to the whole world of the Roman Empire. So that's part of the backdrop. Uh, And so what Luke is now writing again to Theophilus, the key word is... Began. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And what Theophilus, or what Luke is saying to Theophilus is that the gospel of, that, that I wrote that, that is the life and story and message of Jesus all the way up to his death, burial, and resurrection, it has not stopped. The things that Jesus began both to do and teach bringing salvation bringing the gospel uh healing people delivering people from spiritual warfare and demonic strongholds raising the dead bringing the good news to the whole world those things that jesus began to do have not stopped even though he has ascended and risen to heaven they continue on now but in a different way. They continue by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was in Jesus and that Jesus depended upon for everything that he did. So Jesus was in intimacy with his Father, but Jesus also, as God who became a man, was dependent upon the Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, he did all of his signs and wonders and miracles as he modeled a relationship that we are to have with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus continues in the book of Acts, but here's the difference. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit never came inside of a human being. The Holy Spirit could come upon someone, Uh, And we read about the prophets. The Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would begin prophesying. We read about the Holy Spirit would come upon King David and he would write songs. He would write uh, psalms. He would worship the Lord. We read about the prophets would get together and the Spirit would come upon them. And even sometimes kings would go and be among the prophets and the Spirit would come upon them and they would prophesy about the Lord and about the kingdom and about the future but then the Spirit would leave. He he could not literally come inside of any human being because of sin. So it was not until Jesus came and as our second Adam took our place on the cross as a man and therefore was qualified to pay for the sins of humanity and then was raised from the dead on the third day, That's what the book of Acts is about, is now for the first time in human history, the Holy Spirit who had always been with us and who used to come upon us could now literally come inside of a human being. Every believer in Jesus and who was washed and cleansed by the blood of Jesus, the spirit of the living God comes inside because we've been washed by the blood of the lamb and he can remain inside of us permanently, and world without end. Can I hear it? Hallelujah. Amen. Therefore, the very things Jesus began to do and to teach continue on, not only in the book of Acts, as the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit of Christ, lived in them and through them, but it continued into the next generation, and the third century, the fourth, and all the way up until now, the Holy Spirit is in and working through believers. It is continuing. And so literally the book of Acts, if I may say it this way, is not finished. We are adding chapters, stories, testimonies to the book of Acts, the acts of the Holy Spirit through the disciples, even in the year 2020, amen? So now here's what I wanna say. Uh, I've got several things I'm gonna share with you during the message and especially at the end. We We are living in... Very unique times, and I'm going to just say it as simply and directly as I can. We're living in the last of the last days. What has been unleashed, uh, and I believe literally was unleashed at the beginning literally of the year, um, and, and that is a peace deal that has been proposed and, you know, solution or whatever for Israel has, has unleashed something. Partly, what it has unleashed—not only the, the pandemic, uh, and and then all the protests, and then the violence, and all the rest of it—if um, I could put it this way—the devil is going crazy right now. If you have noticed, he is unhinged. He is—he is behind, or he is literally the spirit behind all of this against humanity. And where we are now, it's, it's not going to go away, it's going to continue on. We're going to go from one pandemic, maybe to another pandemic, from one level of economic crisis to another level of financial crisis and or collapse, because here's the deal. God is setting up the world right now. We're entering into literally uh, the, the whole thing that is happening within Israel and the unfolding of this peace plan, it is setting up for the coming of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's, what it, that's really what's happening and where it's headed. So the devil doesn't, he, he's trying to change God's timeline, but God's timeline is set and it's done and he can't change it. So he re, he's freaking out because he realizes he has just about run out of time. So, he's going to use all of this to manipulate crisis after crisis, uh, preparing the way for fear to take over not just one continent, but the whole world. It's going to be global from now on. And he is setting the world up for bringing a solution that will be a savior, but it's a human savior, not Jesus Christ. It will be a man. And that man will say, I can be your safety, I can be your protection. He's known in the Bible as the antichrist or the instead of Christ. He's going to come saying, I'm going to take care of all of you, but he's really not good. So this, in the midst of all of this, the holy, it's very, very important, especially as we go through the book of Acts, that you and I have an ongoing, that we have more than religion, that we have more than, uh, you know, a church life, that we have more than, a Judeo Christian ethic, all of that is good. And as a pastor, I'm all for the church. But we are living in days where, because this is just going to escalate from one level to the next, what God is offering is that every individual child has a personal, intimate relationship with the Spirit of the living God that we learn to hear his voice and follow his leading and guiding that, that God wants. So what I want to say is God is continue. what Jesus began to do and teach, continued in the book of Acts, has continued for throughout church history, is continuing today. And you might be saying, oh, but I, how could God use me? I have so many flaws. I have so many shortcomings. I'm not really, you know, I just go and kind of pray for and encourage and cheer others to do. No, 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 no. He has a call on your life. He has an appointment for you. And he is going to use you, as we come together, the body of Christ, to literally ignite a fire. By the way, there are are ignitions going on. There are fires being started, and they're happening from home to home, and it's exciting what God is doing. So, okay, uh, verse 3. Jesus proved his resurrection by many infallible proofs. So, in verse 3. It says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them, the apostles and the disciples, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So it's not like Jesus rose from the dead and then just immediately ascended and went up into heaven. (laughs) After the mighty, powerful, glorious resurrection of Jesus, early Easter morning, that Sunday morning, Jesus did not immediately go sit on the throne next to his father, but he stayed here on the earth, not even just for a month, but for a full 40 days. Why? Because he wanted to make many appearances. As it says in verse 3, he gave many infallible proofs, this is me I'm Jesus who was here with you and did all those signs and wonders and then was nailed and crucified and died on the cross and then was buried and now this is me risen and alive, come and see I'm going to prove to you that I am raised from the dead, many infallible proofs so how did Jesus do it, he did it in several ways one way is he kept appearing to people Uh, And by the way, he could appear or disappear. He apparently could walk through walls. Um, There was, you know, a group of the disciples. So after they saw what happened to Jesus, they're hiding from the religious leaders, let alone the Romans, and they're in little houses, locked doors, talking about, wow, the stone was rolled away. We heard about the angels and some of them had seen Jesus. Some of them in the house hadn't seen him. And is it real? And is this legitimate? Are you guys making this up? And there was one of them known as Thomas, Doubting Thomas. And finally, he's so emotional about the whole thing, and he hadn't seen Jesus alive. So he said, you know what? You can say whatever you want. Tell me whatever you know you think you've seen. But I won't believe until I put my finger into his hand, the nail prints, or put my hand into his side, because I know that's where the spear went in. Then I'll believe and I love it, and then Jesus appears. By the way, I believe Jesus was still, he was actually there, invisible, waiting for Thomas to say that very thing. And then Jesus appears, and he goes, Thomas, woo! I wanna I want see that on film. I hope there's, you know, videos in heaven or something that we can watch, I'd love to watch all of this, but then, so he's like, Thomas, can you imagine Thomas? There's Jesus. Jesus says, come here, buddy. Put your finger right here in my hand. You want to put your hand in my side? Stop being faithless and believe. Thomas dropped to his knees and said, oh, my Lord and my God. What I want to encourage you is that Jesus stayed for 40 days to prove it's me. I'm risen. I'm alive. And he even invited people, you come touch me to know and see that my body is the same body that is risen from the dead. Then there were, well, how else did Jesus prove that it was him? Because they're still, they looking at him. There he is in this body. How did he come through the walls? And they're, they're still trying to, you know, figure it out. So, and he realizes they're struggling with this. That's why he waited. That's why he stayed for 40 days to give many infallible proofs. So he said, okay, you can touch me. It's really, you know, you can touch me. I'm really, it's me. I got a body and it's me alive. So another thing he said, not only is to touch me, he says, why don't you give me something to eat? So they're like, okay. And they get some food and they give it to Jesus. And Jesus just looks at him and starts eating. I love that. I cannot tell you how much I love that Jesus ate food to prove that it was him alive as an infallible proof that he was in a resurrected body and That body is a prototype of the new bodies you and I are going to get, which means we're going to be eating. Hallelujah. We don't stop just because we got a body that doesn't need fuel. Look, right now we eat to live. But apparently in heaven, we got eternal life, so we eat purely for the pleasure of eating. And there's no calories. There's no diets. There's nothing bad for you. In fact, I love Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and will open the door, I will come in and sign you up to join church and get you baptized. It doesn't say all of the spiritual stuff. It says, if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with you. I want to eat a meal with you. Literally. So in Jewish culture, what that means, if you sit down and eat a meal, you invite someone into your house, you share with them your bread. The idea is that from my loaf of bread that I feed my wife and my kids, I want you, my friend, to eat from the bread on my table. And when we eat and fellowship and sup together, it means you and I now are family. That's what Jesus was saying, that we literally become his family. So he proved it. Come and touch me. He proved it. I'll eat food for you. And these proofs he gave were eternally convincing. And last of all, not only did he appear to them hiding in the beginning of the 40 days and behind closed doors, by the end of the 40 days, he had appeared to so many people that they started gathering and they weren't afraid anymore because originally it was just small house meetings, but it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And at one time, I love this. The Bible tells us there were over 500 believers together. And when Jesus saw 500 believers that came together, he appeared to them at once with 500 of them so that they could see he's alive and risen from the dead. So then after that, after the 40 days, then he goes to heaven. So that's what Luke is telling us. He stuck around for 40 days to prove infallibly He is alive and he is risen. Well, let's look at verses four and five. The promise. But Jesus said, look, I'm leaving, but I got a promise for you and you need to wait in Jerusalem for it. So in verse five, it says, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. Everything begins in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the only place on planet Earth where God says, I have put my name. And I am telling you right now where we are headed in the near future in this decade is what is going to be primary on the minds of the whole world and the leaders of the whole world once again will be the city of Jerusalem. So he said, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, the Holy Spirit was a promise. The Holy Spirit was a promise of the Father. And what Jesus said is, you need, yes, you've seen me, you believe in me, and you're saved, but you need the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit when he comes inside of you to reveal the glory of God in you and through you and that he will do the same things that I did now by my spirit, he will do them in and through you. So that was the promise. Okay, we got to wait. So after the 40 days, he goes up to heaven and we know literally the, the time of it all. After the 40 days, Pentecost is on the 50th day so 50 minus 40 is 10. They had to wait in Jerusalem 10 days and the promise of the father would come. I want to give a couple of scriptures here about the promise of the Holy Spirit that is coming. Here's Isaiah chapter 32 verse 15. Let's read this until the spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. So the Holy Spirit is likened in the Bible to rain. By the way, first the natural, then the spiritual. Everything in nature has a spiritual, supernatural component to it. They're not unrelated. So God has put uh, similes. He's put things that when you look at nature, oh, That is a a divine picture of a spiritual, eternal, heavenly truth. So one of the things within nature is rain. Rain, you know, it starts from clouds, the cloud of God's glory and presence. It gets heavy. The glory of God is described as being heavy. And then it releases rain. The rain comes down. And, you know, literally they've shown where rain can go to the driest, parched ground where the the soil has been cracking under the sun, even out in the desert. And then they get a flash flood or a, a flash rainstorm. And literally within days, because there are millions of seeds in that dry, cracked, parched earth, it blossoms almost supernaturally with all of these flowers in the desert. It happens every year in the springtime. So that's the picture of the Holy Spirit coming to our dry little lives. But they're the seed of the gospel and the seed of God's word that is within us, the Holy Spirit comes and he activates all of those gifts within us. Isaiah chapter 44 verse 3 is another one. Let's read this. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. So there's, there's water that comes from above, but there's prophecies about the water literally coming up from the ground. So the spirit rises from within us. Jesus said, here's where the Holy Spirit manifests himself in you, out of your innermost being, literally belly, he starts below and he rises up, touches your heart, and flows through our mouth and our countenance and praise. But he also descends upon us from above. And one of the important things here in Isaiah 44 verse three is, if you want, and by the way, we need to lean into the Holy Spirit as we go deeper into the crisis that's gonna go to another level of crisis. So I will pour water, read spirit as the analogy, on him or her who is thirsty. God responds to thirst. In other words, if you want more of the Holy Spirit, you have to honestly tell God in your prayer and in your intimate relationship with him, I need more of your Holy Spirit. I'm tired of running in my own strength, my own energy, and my own thoughts, my own head, and the arm of the flesh. I've run out. I have nothing left in the tank. And Therefore, I need fresh anointing. I need more experience of your love and of the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, I am thirsty for the things of the Spirit. And when God finds a man or a woman, a son or a daughter who is thirsty for water, he opens the heavens, he releases the springs, and you're gonna get blown away by the power of the river of the life of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So be thirsty. So then, um, okay, last one. Closing with the verses 6 and 7, it says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to heaven? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. So I want you to know this. So there, wow, Jesus, you're alive, you're risen, you're here. There's your physical body. So the question on every Jewish person's mind was, so now are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And there was an expectation among all Jews that when the Messiah came, that the Messiah would take the literal throne of the capital in Jerusalem over a sovereign nation, Israel, with its land and territory that God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that he would overthrow their oppressors like Rome, get out of here, and then the kingdom of God would cover the earth. So when is that going to happen? Is is that when you're going to do this? (laughs) And Jesus' answer, he does not answer them directly. Sometimes he answers us indirectly. And he said, it's not for you to know the times and seasons. So we've been waiting. We still pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It hasn't happened yet. He is coming, and I believe we're literally in the generation where it's going to happen. But the reason I believe that Jesus told them it's not for you uh, in the first century to know the times and the seasons is if he had directly said, look, yes, I am coming, but I've got a lot of other things I'm gonna be doing, and I'm actually not returning for about 2,000 years. That might've been a little discouraging to those guys. Right, So he focused them on, you go preach the gospel and it shall reach the ends of the earth and then the end shall come. But here is something that he did not say. Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Jesus did not correct them as some in the church have done and say, no, God's not about Israel. He's not about land. He's not about their territory. He's not gonna restore a kingdom to a literal physical Israel. Jesus did not say that. He let it remain If I could say the inference is, of course, I'm going to restore the kingdom to Israel. Every promise that my father made and every prophecy that was given by the prophets shall be fulfilled, but it's not now. That's all he said. So here is what is exciting for you and me. I believe that you and I are living, we're kind of, that was the beginning and, and it's like a parenthesis, we're on the other end of that. So how do, how do we know that we're living in the last days? And the basic, the biggest thing is 78 years, as Jesus prophesied, the, the, the Jewish people were dispersed, the, their uh, temple was destroyed, they were scattered to the four corners of the earth. But the prophets said in the latter years and in the latter days, Ezekiel 37, latter years and latter days before what? Before the kingdom of heaven comes to the earth. God said, I will take the dead bones of the Jewish people who have not been a nation for nearly 2,000 years, and I will resurrect those dead bones. That nation will come back to life. Peter wrote, a day is with the Lord is 1,000 years, a 1,000 years is as a day. So Israel had no nation for 2,000 years, which in God's timing is two days. And at the beginning or the dawn of the the third day, guess what happened on May 14th, 1948, a dead nation was resurrected. And here's what I wanna close with, God's destiny for America. God is not, so listen very carefully, may he who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the church now. God is not done with the United States of America. God has a divine purpose and plan. And even as it was our president, a guy named Harry Truman, who despite all of his cabinet and everybody that was around him saying, whatever you do, you cannot do this thing where you make Israel a real state. But his mom had planted within him when he was young, son, Israel's in the Bible, and if you ever get a chance to honor and or bless the Jewish people, you better take it, it's from God. So he was the first one to vote for the reestablishment of modern Israel. And just like on the third date, just like Jesus. There's never been a people who's been dead for 2,000 years and then come back to the original homeland. So that's the sign. And so the clock has been moving forward. But I believe that God is still not finished and America has a plan and a purpose and God is going to, you know, as they, this peace thing and as they, this land and this land and this land that's in the Bible that was promised, as we bless Israel, God will continue to bless the United States of America. And what, they, what has begun will continue and will move forward according to God's purpose and according to God's plan. So pray for America, pray for our future, it's not finished yet. And God has his hand on the United States of America. Do you hear me? And we need to pray because that's going to happen. I want to I close before I give you, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come out and get ready because we're going to worship and have communion in just a moment. I'm going to give you a chance to receive Christ. But I have one thing to say about, I'm so excited. This is the Lord that we're going to be in the book of Acts because fire is coming. Fire is coming to this church. If you keep coming here, I'm telling you, as we go through the book of Acts, fire is coming. The fire of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God. So I want to activate some of you right now in the name of Jesus. There are some of you that need to start paying attention to your dreams because you have been having dreams and God speaks through dreams. And in fact, he prophesied And this is from the word. It's a promise in Joel chapter two that in the latter days, I'm gonna pour out my spirit on all flesh and they will have dreams. You need to start paying attention to your dreams because God is speaking to you. Yes, we need to test the spirits and we need to interpret it and that has to go through the word of God and the Bible and be confirming. But what I wanna say is God is, I know that God is already giving, he's visiting some of you in your dreams and it's the Holy Spirit. So you need to take those seriously. Second, some of you are not so much dreamers; you're more visionaries. You see things. Uh, you 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 daydream a lot, and all of, you know. You read the headlines and you hear the news, and you know it gets very depressing and discouraging. And but then all of a sudden, in your mind, you see something that is not being said by the media. It's not being promoted by the world. But you see something. And what you see is like an insight. It's a revelation. I want, you, I want to tell you it's not just that you're really smart or cute. It is the Holy Spirit is giving visions. Again, I refer to Joel chapter 2, verses 28-29. God said, in the last days, I'm going to give visions. By the way, both men and women, the older generation and the younger generation, it's for everybody. So pay attention to your dreams. Pay attention to your visions. This is going to continue to grow and expand. There is a remnant of the church that is in for the most dramatic, exciting ride. I mean, this is Mr. Toad's wild ride like you've never known before. And I might have dated myself by using that analogy, but it's coming. (laughs) But I'm telling you, church, it's never going to be as it was before. It's going to be... It's going, to be, it's going to be a lot like the book of Acts, and which Acts deals with all the, there was racial stuff going on, there was division, there was oppression, there was the heavy boot of the Roman Empire, and there were believers who were so on fire and passionate from God. They not only risked their lives, some of them gave their lives as martyrs saying, I'm telling you, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus will save you. Jesus will forgive you. Jesus will keep you from going to an eternity in hell. Jesus is the one. And and I'm telling you, the world was never the same. We are still being impacted by what began in Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit that went to Samaria, then went to Judea, then went to the uttermost parts of the earth.